Welcome to Your Strata Property, the podcast for property owners looking for reliable, accurate, and bite-sized information from an experienced and authoritative source. Hello and welcome to this week's podcast episode. I am your host, Amanda Farmer, and this week I'm bringing you an edited version of my live chat with Dr. Nicole Johnston. This chat took place over on the Your Strata Property Facebook page last Friday, the 24th of September. I invited Dr. Nicole to share the findings from her most recent research project, examining the role of strata managers in the delivery of strata insurance-related services. In particular, the aim of the research being to determine the value of the strata manager in the process of providing insurance services to our owners' corporations. The research was undertaken with funding from Strata Community Association and has culminated in a report, which Dr. Nicole published earlier this month, titled A Data-Driven Holistic Understanding of Strata Insurance – in Australia and New Zealand. There is a link in the show notes for this episode for you to access a copy of the report. In it, you will read that in 2020, Australian owners' corporations paid over $830 million in strata insurance premiums and nearly $230 million in duties, levies and taxes, claiming over $390 million. Overall, the total cost of insurance payable by owners' corporations was over $1 billion. There are at least 38 pieces of legislation and associated regulations across Australia and New Zealand forming the suite of strata laws regulating strata insurance. And as you'll hear Nicole and I discuss, strata managers are expected to be across all of that legislation in this conversation, Nicole shares what the owners she surveyed think of insurance commissions being paid to strata managers, how strata managers are failing to explain their value to their clients, how owners can tap into the power of an insurance broker, and lots more. If you like what you hear from Dr. Nicole Johnston, you can check out a couple of previous episodes of the podcast where she has been my special guest. Most recently, episode number 243. Again, this was taken from one of our live chats over on the Facebook page. This was a chat from December 2020 when Nicole was first sharing her proposal to engage in this research about the involvement of our strata managers in insurance services and episode number 172, Exposing Australia's Building Defects Crisis. Nicole was the lead researcher on a very important report published in June 2019, An Examination of Building Defects in Multi-Owned Properties. That report has formed the basis of many discussions since then about how we can fix this current building defects crisis. But right now, I will take you over to my chat with Dr. Nicole Johnston, determining the value of the strata manager in the delivery of strata insurance-related services. Enjoy, and I'll catch you next time. 
Lots of you coming on in to hear from our special guest. She is indeed Dr. Nicole Johnston. Dr. Nicole is an admitted legal practitioner currently working as a senior lecturer and a researcher at Deakin University's Business School. She is a co-leader of Deakin's Home Research Group, an interdisciplinary research network. Nicole researches strata-related topics from a socio-legal perspective. Her work focuses on strata governance, conflicts of interest, purchaser knowledge acquisition, and building defects in residential schemes. She is the chair of the International Research Forum on Multi-Owned Properties, a multidisciplinary research conference held annually. Now, if you have been one of our loyal Friday Live viewers for some time now, you may remember that Dr. Nicole Johnston was my guest way back in December 2020. Nicole's been a guest a few times on the podcast and on Friday Live, but in December 2020, we were the first to hear about a new research project which Deakin University, Dr. Nicole Johnston and Strata Community Association had partnered on for 2021, focused on strata insurance. And it was all about surveying owners to gain insight into the current insurance model. And it was also your chance to have your say on hot insurance topics, including insurance commissions. Now, the report arising from that research has been published. It is titled, A Data-Driven Holistic Understanding of Strata Insurance in Australia and New Zealand. Its author is Dr. Nicole Johnston. She is here with us today. Welcome, Nicole. Thank you very much for having me again, Amanda. It's lovely to be here. It's a pleasure to have you here with us and we were just chatting off air about uh, you guys up there in Queensland living it up. We're very jealous. I know. And I was just looking at the little comment about the Victorians. I did escape. I work for a Victorian university. I have been a Melbourne girl for the last sort of seven and a half years. But when this pandemic started, I escaped. And I've been residing in sunny Queensland with very little restrictions for some time now. So I do think about all my friends and colleagues, both in Sydney and Melbourne, and I hope they're all doing well. Well, we will be uh, looking forward, we're all looking forward very much to being able to get back together across borders with our Queensland friends and colleagues, hopefully, and other parts of the country as well. We will get there. Now, Nicole, I was reading your fabulous report (laughs) and having a look at uh, your executive summary. We do have a link here to the report. Rochelle is going to pop it in the notes here for us. It's lengthy at over 200 pages, um, but I think your summary alone is valuable for those who don't have uh, perhaps the time or the inclination, come on, let's face it, to read everything. Check out this executive summary. The first thing that jumped out to me if we start there is the incredibly complex nature of our regulatory environment when it comes to strata insurance. Can you share a bit about uh, what you found there, Nicole? Yeah, Amanda and I sort of feel the same. I think when I initially decided that I'd take on this challenge of doing this research and one of the key areas that I wanted to look at was the regulatory environment. And I thought it was really important to look at all jurisdictions and how we're all tackling this area of strata insurance 
And what I was hoping <laughs> was really that there would be some real consistency. I thought it would be a really easy task for me, even though doing cross-jurisdictional reviews of laws is always complicated. I thought it would be fairly straightforward and found it to be an extremely complex and um, laborious task. And what really came out of it was the fact that, that there's such an inconsistent approach, there's such variation across all the states and territories in relation to how strata insurance is regulated. And that's just from the first instance looking at the legislation that regulates strata, so our governance legislation, let alone the other legislation and regulations that we looked at in terms of taxes um, and more around insurance contracts generally and those sorts of things. So I was really surprised. It was a big task for us to look at. And one of the key things was even though we've got very similar mandatory requirements around, for example, having the mandatory provisions around insuring the building or the scheme and also public liability, the terms that we use are very varied. And then when you start to dig down into the nuts and bolts of the legislation in each state and territory, that's where you start to see a lot of variation. So what's actually required to be covered is very, very different in every single state, what mm. the exclusions are, what must be the inclusions and so forth, extremely varied. So on the surface, strata insurance laws seem pretty straightforward. These are the things that we must insure for. But when you actually start to dig into the detail, that's where it starts to get very, very complex. Mm. I was reading in your report, you found that there were at least 38 pieces of legislation and associated regulations across Australia and New Zealand and 12 legal topics you identified relevant to strata insurance. And you've said that strata managers are required to have a working knowledge of all of this relevant legislation because they are expected to assist their clients to navigate that complex framework. What were your findings in respect of strata managers and having this knowledge, being aware perhaps that they should have this knowledge and their clients being able to rely on that knowledge? Is that something that's happening out there in the market? Yeah, so I think there's some confusion around the extent to which a strata manager is to guide, inform or advise in relation to any law in Australia. And it is a bit of a tricky one. And it is for a lot of sort of ancillary professions that sit on the border or are regulated or have to help their clients regulate or navigate a really um, complex regulatory environment. And so, as you know, lawyers, you know, managers or anyone else aren't supposed to provide legal advice. That's an exclusion there. That's, it needs to anything complex or where there's actual legal advice has to go to a lawyer. But they certainly have to have a good working knowledge. And in some jurisdictions, that's expressly stated either in the code of conduct that attaches to the legislation or it's sort of implied in various other ways through the duties that go towards strata managers. So you get a general sense that they have to have this good working knowledge of the legislation to really help guide and inform the owners corporation or the body corporate through the different governance frameworks or the different governance areas um, in relation to strata and insurance is part of that. There's always work that needs to be done. And I think, you know, looking really at the complexity of it, there is, you know, it would be really hard, I think, to really get a, a full understanding because it's subject, obviously, to a lot of interpretation, uh, these provisions. And so I think it would be quite difficult for a lot of strata managers to know the intricacies 
of the legislation, but they're certainly, you know, reliant on other parties in the supply chain to assist them in what this all means, including brokers and, you know, the underwriting agencies and also um, the insurers themselves. So, and of course, you know, there's a good legal group that sort of sit around this that have good knowledge in relation to strata more generally that can assist. So, I think it's like anything, I think there's strata managers out there that have a pretty good idea and then I think there's strata managers that would find it very difficult to navigate. And I think at the end of this research, what was very apparent to me is the need for more education um, Mm -hmm. to get that messaging out and, and to really assist managers in assisting their clients because I think a committee on their own or a strata lot owner on their own would find it very, very challenging to make sure that they are complying with all the rules um, that sit within the regulatory framework. And did you find that owners felt that their strata manager was a source of knowledge or a place to go to get information about insurance? Yeah, so I think we have to step back a little bit and think about who actually participated in the research because that's really important to frame it, give it context. And so a lot of um, the survey went out through a number of different groups. It's always really hard to get to lot owners for them to participate in research because oftentimes we need a conduit in the middle to get to them. So we don't have, I don't have a database of, of strata lot owners, for example, that I can just speak to. I usually have to go through, you know, like your strata property um, was really great in getting the survey out to the members. And there were a number of other people that really work on behalf of owners that did that as well. And so that's the only vehicle that I can really use to get the surveys out. Now, when you get a survey out through those sorts of mechanisms, the type of lot owner that usually decides to participate doesn't become a representative sample. What we found when we looked at who actually participated in the surveys, and I thank those that did, it's fantastic that people do participate, but it was a really highly sophisticated group of owners. They were people that were very active, very well educated. They had owned a number of different strata schemes either at at that particular time or throughout their lives. So it wasn't sort of the general lot owner as a sophisticated group. And I think from a research perspective, we're always looking for that representative sample. We want to hear the voices from all the different people involved in in Strata. That is very difficult to do. But instead of just dismissing it, I think it's important that we take those people, so there was 280 participants, and really value what they are telling us because they are a sophisticated group. They know, they have good working knowledge about what's going on in Strata, how decisions are made, they have a good working knowledge of the legislation and so forth. So they're the people that that have a really important voice in this conversation. So it's not a representative group. So I think they were highly sophisticated. They, They had some really good understanding in terms of how the process actually works, how the commission system works, what's going on internally and that sort of thing. So so I probably missed your main question. No, that's okay. <laughs> I was asking you whether the owners who you surveyed appeared to be aware that their strata manager was indeed a source of information, of knowledge, of advice within the limits of their professional engagement about insurance. Because I would yes. think that maybe there'd be owners out there thinking, well, if we want advice about insurance, we talk to the insurer or we talk to the broker and our strata manager doesn't really do anything about insurance. They just send us the quotes. and Yeah, so it varied. So the responses really varied, Amanda. There were some people that were very clear that, you know, their managers were very helpful, that they relied on them to be that person to provide that information to them. And then, of course, you get people that 
aren't happy with their manager who is not providing that information because you get obviously variation in any professional groups. You have mm-hmm. people that are really active and, and have that knowledge source and are really good communicators with their clients. And then you have others that are lacking that education or that experience around strata insurance and then probably don't actually communicate effectively to their clients. So you saw that in the data. You could see that coming out of the data that there was some that were really reliant and thought that their manager did have good knowledge and then to the other extent where people were very dissatisfied with the services that were being provided. But overall, what a real clear theme that was coming through a number of the different data sources that we looked at in relation to this research was that there was a real lack of transparency and a lack of communication generally in relation to strata services and the process. And so that was one of the key messages that I'm taking back to the SCA and strata managers to say, you need to engage better with your clients, the owners corporation and lot owners in relation to the services that you provide because you aren't clear about that. And so a lot of the comments were, we don't know what they do. And I've said to the managers, well, of course, owners and committees don't know what you do because you you don't communicate that effectively to them, both in the agreements and in any other mechanism. And Mm -hmm. so I think there's work that needs to be done um, from the management perspective about communicating much more effectively to their clients in relation to the services they actually provide. Not just about insurance, but about all the services that they provide as strata managers. Mm, well, this was specifically looking at insurance, but yes, I think they can. I out. think if we if we start to look at the agreements and see and get a bit of an idea about the services that they are providing, and you would think that would be the first port of call to look at. Mm. Um, I think there needs to be more work to be clear about what the services are of a manager, and I think there's confusion generally. And I think we've heard this over many years working in this area that there is confusion about specifically what the role of the strata manager is. Mm. Now I'm going to share screen again here, Nicole, because I want to show one of the images, the figures in your reports that is titled the strata management value pillars, because I think this is a good part of the discussion to head over there. And then I'm going to dive into some of these comments that are coming through. There's some good ones. These are the strata management value pillars. And we've just been talking about strata managers having a messaging problem, a marketing problem, perhaps a communication problem when it comes to explaining to their clients exactly what it is that they do and where their value is. Can you speak to this image here, Nicole, and where this fits in your report and what we're seeing here in this table? Sure. So there was two different um, components of the research or aims of the project. And I think when you're ever reading a research report like this and understanding the research, you've got to be clear about what the aims are. So although this is a very comprehensive overview, it's been directed by two aims. And one was to look at the data around insurance as far as the cost of insurance, the number of claims and the policies that are taken up in relation to strata schemes. So that was sort of the first aim. The second aim was very much looking around the role of the manager in the process and the value that they bring to the particular process. And so I've spoken to you about the services and how, unfortunately, when you look at an agreement and we did a sort of a review of a number of uh, management agreements across the country, what was really difficult is we couldn't really extract from those agreements what the services were. There were sort of sort of broad terms that were used. It wasn't very clear um, and there were certainly no discrete services that were outlined in the agreement. So one part of this was looking at and trying to identify what the services are that managers are actually undertaking. And there were quite a lot when you start to delve into it. 
The next part was to think about value. So, of course, they're doing services and, you know, they're being paid for those services, but they also bring other things into the picture as far as, you know, the other roles that they really take on. And this is where the sort of value pillars came up. And there may be more value pillars as we sort of do more research into this area, but I really see them as obviously they're agents and there's a principal agency agreement. They're acting on behalf of the owners corporation or the body corporate. They're custodians. And then they've got this great knowledge bank. And I'll talk a little bit about each of these. So in relation to that agency relationship, you know, they have to do certain things as agent for the owner's corporation. So that's about the value that they bring to it and the reliance that an owner's corporation has on a manager. So they have to obtain authorities to engage in the insurance process and that's often done through meetings. They're that conduit between so many people in the supply chain and there are a number of people in the supply chain when it comes to insurance. So there's often a broker, there's the insurer, there's an underwriter, there's valuers, lot owners and other stakeholders that might be interested in the information around insurance. And of course, you need really in a lot of these schemes to have that relationship because it ensures strata insurances arrangements are put in place so that you don't miss time um, limitations in relation to placing insurance, that the premiums actually get paid on time, that evaluation is obtained and then provided to a third party, that claims are managed and sometimes these are complex claims and that certain advice or guidance is actually provided. So that's sort of one of the extra roles um, that they are fulfilling. They're also the custodians and in so many schemes, this is a real necessary element because there has to be this repository of information. As we know, lot owners come and go from a scheme, committees change and so forth. So you need to have a central area for information to be kept. And this is really important when it comes to insurance, especially around disclosure. Um, So disclosing information to the insurer about what's going on in your scheme is a vital thing to do. There's duties that attach to that requirement. So being the custodian really enables efficient collection, collation and distribution of information to all those different people in the supply chain. It certainly enhances and streamlines that sort of disclosure that I mentioned and enables essential registers to be put in one place. So if there's issues around boundaries, for example, between private lot property and common property, it sort of has all the information about the assets, which is really important for insurance purposes. It's keeping that under the one umbrella. So that's an important extra you know, job really that, that managers are doing. And of course, they have really a knowledge bank because as we spoke about before, there are duties, um, sometimes implied, sometimes more expressed, depending on the jurisdiction that you're in, that you are to provide some sort of guidance around those legal rules to your clients. So having those duties requires you to be across the legislation. You may be an authorised representative, which requires you to do certain training You also get gained experience um, through a lot of different portfolios that you use, so that repeat sort of business looking at large volumes of schemes. You get to know it really well. If you're an owner doing it once a year, I mean, I'm a a committee member. I sit on a a very large body corporate. I'm the chair of a very large body corporate. And I would hate to have to deal with that every year going through, you know, finding quotes and so forth. I'm definitely pushing over to someone else. The deals with it all the time, that repetitive work um, is really important. And of course, they do get professional development through ongoing education and training through different areas, especially those that are connected to SCA. Um, They have CPD points and those sorts of things. So they're required to have a certain level of education. So I think there is value that sits under the role and the job that they do in relation to insurance that probably is not being clearly communicated to lot owners. 
And what a fabulous resource this image is here and these strata management value pillars. I'm often asked, Amanda, what do strata managers do? Is my strata manager supposed to be providing me with legal guidance? Are they just a post box? I think this is a fabulous way of showing the the layers inherent in a strata manager's role and clever strata managers out here. Take a look at this. You can really dig into this in your marketing and you're hearing Nicole say, most managers are falling down when it comes to communicating their value. Nicole's done it for you, <laughs> you guys. Um, exactly. This is a, a really, really valuable part of that report. So that's why I wanted to focus on that one in particular. I'm going to, um, and thank you for breaking that down for us, Nicole. I'm going to stop that share now and just head over. There's been a couple of comments as we have been talking. Uh, here's a long one. I will try to get on the screen without cutting our heads off here mm-hmm. from Bill and Ben. The legislation has always envisaged that generally strata schemes would be managed by ordinary lot owners for their own benefit. And he's listed a case there as if that's possible, given the complexity of regulations, general rules of conduct, applying to agents, assistant agents. I'm not getting all of the comment there because I can't see it all on my screen, but you're right, Bill and Ben. I uh, was chatting, I think it was to Ross Taylor in our podcast chat a few weeks ago, where Ross said the strata management legislation generally was designed for our very simple three or four story red brick walk-ups from the 50s and 60s. And our buildings these days are so incredibly complex. And your research has really revealed that, Nicole, specific to just one part of our buildings and our management industry, uh, the insurance aspect. But there is just no way, I think, I certainly don't want to be involved in a building that doesn't have a professional manager doing these jobs. Even something as seemingly simple and straightforward as being the custodian, as you say, in that central pillar, custodian of records and having that longevity of knowledge and that ability to report to a new insurer perhaps or dig into the records in respect of a claim what the history of a building has been. It might be obvious to strata managers, oh yeah, of course we do that. Of course and people know we do that. And of course there's value in that. You gotta you gotta say it. You've got yeah, to and I, think, and I think that's really key, Amanda, and that sort of, you know, and I've been really clear with the management industry in particular about this, that you know what you do and you think that other people do, but they just don't. And that was really clear because so many comments were, we don't know what they do. And as I said to them, that's not owner's fault or committee's fault. That's your fault <laughs> because you haven't communicated effectively. And I think that's the thing. And I think that might be with a lot of professions until you have someone over your shoulder looking at what you actually do, you can't articulate it clearly enough. And I think that's where there's been a fall down here. Yep, I agree. Point here, or question I think it is, from Michael Tees, a colleague of ours. Nice to see you, Michael. Hi, Amanda and Nicole. Do we know anything about the extent to which strata committee members get sued? Interested in Nicole's finding that not all schemes have officers' liability insurance. Oh, yes, indeed, Michael. That's something that I'm often asked from lot owner clients, Amanda, I want to sue the committee. How successful will I be? Can you send me some cases where owners have successfully sued committee members in negligence? And at least here in New South Wales, I go, um, um, 
few and far between, that's for sure. I've seen them settled. I've seen them attempted, but we really don't have many, if any, someone here will tell me if I'm missing an obvious one, reported cases of uh, successfully suing committee members. Nicole, your finding about office bearers liability insurance? Yeah, so two points. So in some states, there's an indemnity um, in the legislation. So it probably would make it quite tough in some instances to sue committee members. So just sort of probably depends on your jurisdictions. I don't know of any great um, cases that come to mind around that. In relation to the office bearers liability, I think it was a, this was really quite interesting, um, one of the findings. So we looked at or got data in relation to policy take-up. So all the different types of policies um, and the component parts of policies and looking across the jurisdictions which states are taking up um, the different ones. Obviously, with the mandatory ones, it was really clear, you know, they were being taken up a lot. And there are some other other things like voluntary workers and um, those sorts of things that are sort of rolled up into your mandatory provisions within your policy, I think. So they sort of were taken up at 100% as well. But things like machinery breakdown, catastrophe cover, and certainly office bearers liability, that's where the variations came from each state. So you had some states really high. I think for memory, overall in Australia, there's about a 60% take up of that policy across all mm. schemes. And then wow. you start to see real variation in each of the jurisdictions. In part, it could have something to do with those states with much more complex schemes or larger schemes where they're probably being professionally managed and there's been, you know, probably advice given that they should have office bearers liability and the smaller schemes perhaps aren't being covered that way. I would love to know the answer to some of that, to why there was such variation. Maybe some people here today can tell me why that there might be some states that are taking it up at much higher rates than other states, but I haven't quite solved that one yet. Yeah, and I am just as I think it, Bill and Ben is typing it, which is sometimes the case here on on our videos. Uh, Bill and Ben is saying suing the strata committee members, section 260 in our strata schemes management act is of course relevant. Our committee members have an indemnity from the owners corporation if they are acting in good faith and they are not exposed to personal liability. And that is indeed what section 260 in our New South Wales Act says. Committee members do, pursuant to our legislation, have a duty to act with due care and diligence. And if they're not doing that, query, and I think that's what Bill and Ben's doing here, what is this threshold to show that they're not acting in good faith and therefore exposed to personal liability? And that's not something that we have seen tested in our New South Wales courts. So perhaps to Michael's question about how often do we see committee members get sued? Not very. And that may be why some Buildings, from my point of view, don't bother with the office bearers liability insurance or they rely on Section 260 that they're covered by the owners' corporation. I don't think I'd be one of those committee members who's quite happy to run loose and free without any insurance. Yeah, Um, and I mean it could be also, you know, a bit of pressure around costs to pull down. I don't know how much that particular part of the policy would actually cost, whether there would be a big cost savings um, in relation to that. We didn't quite get to look at that, but I couldn't imagine that that it would have a huge impact. I would think most of the premiums going to the building and liability components Mm. would be my thoughts. Yep. 
Heading back over to those comments, Pamela saying hi. Hi, Pamela. No need to apologize for being late. If you can swing by, you're always more than welcome. I'm seeing some questions there from QPoodle, not so much focused on insurance QPoodle. So we may come back around to those. If we don't have the opportunity, if I don't have the opportunity to get stuck into your Strata questions on any particular Friday Live, the place to go to get those answered is over in our online membership community. And that's why I wanted to share with you all today that those doors are open over at stratamembership.com. That's where our Q&A forum is firing and I'm in there focusing on our questions being asked by members. So if you have a question that we don't get around to on a Friday Live, then raising them in the members Q&A forum is the way to go. Now, Jane is making a comment. Haven't read it yet. Not a problem. Does the report discuss the ACCC inquiry into the Northern Territory? So the ACCC inquiry was broader than that. It wasn't just Northern Territory. It was really all of Northern Australia. And so I've read the report and I've sort of taken note of a couple of things and we sort of refer to it briefly um, in the report. It sort of came out, the final report came out sort of midway through us writing or doing this research. So it doesn't specifically talk to it. And I sort of wanted to do that on purpose in a way, because I think it's a standalone piece. And I think the ACCC had three years to do it. And the ACCC looks at both strata and non-strata properties. And they go about sort of comparing them like they're similar in some ways, but also setting out in their report um, some distinctions in relation to that. I think it's a, a report that people should have a look at, but I think my feelings were that strata is so different. It's such a complex piece, so different from a standalone other property um, type, simply because we have much more mandatory requirements around insurance and the complexity of it's very different. It's highly regulated, very different to a house. In a normal freestanding dwelling, you can choose to have insurance or not. Um, you know, that's really up to you you don't have the luxury of that in strata. So I didn't want to sort of get too caught up in, in what their results were and where they were having. I mean, obviously they had extraordinary powers in terms of getting access to data that I didn't have. The government has powers to compel um, insurance companies to provide them with data um, and certain data. But I wanted to have a different mindset and look at data in a different way. So I reviewed it. I know about it. There are a couple of points that I refer to it, but it's not directly discussed. And Jane, if you want to get your hands on a copy of Nicole's report, if you haven't read it yet, we have popped a link into the comments here on Facebook and we'll come back around and pop that into LinkedIn as well. Now, I want to make sure, Nicole, we cover the topic of insurance commissions before we run out of time and time is absolutely flying. When we were talking about your research, your planned research back in December, we were hearing that owners were very excited to share their thoughts, their comments, their criticism, perhaps, of the practice of our strata managers taking commissions from insurers. And I know you had a particular expectation, perhaps, of what owners might say under survey when asked about this, and maybe a surprising result. Can you speak to that? Somewhat. Um, so, of course, these results are really always dependent on who is surveyed and who decides to take up the survey. And that's why I've sort of said right from the outset that, you know, this was a very sophisticated group of people that actually did the survey. And so, as we know, um, stepping back a little bit, that the majority of strata management companies 
uh, have a fee arrangement that is based on taking insurance commissions or part thereof. So they have a, an annual, usually per lot core or um, agreed services fee, plus they have an, a disbursements amount and then um, incomes generated through commissions from insurers. Um, sometimes that's split between a broker. Um, it's really up to the broker and the management company to determine what that split may be, if any. And so the insurer is just paying one entity, so they're usually paying directly to the broker and then it's up to the broker and manager to divvy up the commission. And so a few things in relation to this. So one thing that I was really interested, I wanted to hear from owners about what they actually thought about commissions and what their knowledge was around commissions because I had a bit of an idea about how the commission system worked, but when I started to delve in, I was really surprised about actually how it does work. And I think that is one thing where that needs to be much more communicated and I'd call out to owners to ask their managers exactly exactly how it all works. They need to be more transparent and you need to ask the questions of them about how it actually works. And so we've been talking about commissions. Commissions have been raised um, for a number of years in Strata. Obviously, it was a very big focus in the ACCC report as well. And so one of the points for me was just to ask owners what they actually felt. Did they actually care about commissions? Were they against them? Um, did they want better regulation? all those sorts of things that I wanted to find out from people because no one had really asked owners, I don't think, before in that sort of way. And so when we asked that question, about close to 40% of those lot owners, so remember this sophisticated group of people, said they want commissions abolished. They hate commissions. They're quite principled on that. Another 30% or so were very much about regulation. So I think that comes back to disclosure and being more transparent. And again, that was a theme that came through in spades all across uh, this research. They just want more information. They want people to be really upfront with them about exactly how this works so that they can make an informed decision. And so I'm urging the managers to do that, but I also urge the lot owners and committees to ask these questions very clearly to their managers because they have choice. There are managers out there that refuse to take commissions that aren't interested in it. They have a different type of fee arrangement model and you should seek those out if you're against the, the commission system, which is based on most companies. And so then what I wanted to know with that, the people that were really the abolitionists that were, which was, I probably wasn't overly surprised by that amount. I probably thought it would be higher, but people had, um, there were core areas in which to say yes or no to. So they didn't have a lot of choice, you know, sort of pushed them into different holes. And so when you look at sort of the people that want better regulation or are the abolitionists, you sort of see that there's a tendency there that there's something not right. I then isolated those that were the abolitionist group and I asked them, well, would you change your position if the fee, the agreed services fee or that core fee that gets paid on an annual basis, usually per lot, if that goes up, does your position change in relation to how you feel about insurance commissions? So we did it in increments. So if it changed by up to 25%, if it changed by 25 to 50% and so forth. So we had four different ranges there. And what was really clear is the position did change very, very quickly. So people viewed it as we hate commissions. We're very firm on that. But if we have to pay more through our agreed services fee, then our position starts to change very quickly. So we'll be sort of we're less on the abolitionist side if that fee structure changes, which I think was a bit surprising to me given what I would consider a fairly low base in terms of the fees that are actually paid. When you've got on average two, $300 per lot per annum being paid for that agreed services fee, it's different in some states. It goes up and it's slightly lower in a state like Queensland, but that's the basic average range. Well, then a 25% increase or a 50% increase 
is not an over a huge amount when you look at the size of budgets for most of these larger schemes, which is sort of what we were looking at. So I was a bit surprised that their position changed so very quickly. But I think at the end result here, it's just really about a stepped approach in relation to commissions. This is what I feel. I think what needs to happen is people need to be much more transparent. People need to know exactly where the money goes, where the money comes from, with the services that are being provided and, you know, how that money is actually utilised from those commissions by the management companies. Oftentimes they're pooled under that general portfolio. They don't align with individual schemes. And so that information has to be communicated to people so that they can make a better decision about their management. This is a customer service oriented environment and the consumer, being the owners corporation and those lot owners, need to be more informed and need to actually ask these questions and the managers need to be very transparent about how it works. And I think you can really see the link there between the manager communicating their value and exactly what it is that they do and the owner being upset should the cost of the management service increase. Because if you've got owners who don't understand or are not aware of the value that a strata manager brings, of course, it feels like pain. It feels like a slap in the face. Of course. If the cost of the service is going to increase by 25% or 50%. I can think of some professionals that I pay money to. My dog trainer is one of them that I think, oh my God, you give so much value. And I would pay you so much more money if you ask for it just because of the way that he communicates that value and that sets out the services that he does and packages up. And I just think, wow, this is amazing. And then on the other hand, you know, accountants, lawyers can be bad, very bad at this as well, strata managers that you think, oh my God, there's thousands of dollars that I'm paying. And it all comes back to that ability to tell your story, to market your worth, to have that knowledge transferred to your clients of exactly what it is that you do oh, and that you exactly. bring Exactly. Because under this area, we had open boxes and, you know, really allowed people to communicate their thoughts about what was going on. And there was, it was overwhelming. We had so much information provided to us by lot owners and it was, the theme was the same. We don't know what you do and you get all this money. We don't know what you do and then you get all the commission. How's this mm. fair? So there's something really wrong there if so many people are telling us that they don't know what strata managers are doing in relation to that commission, that insurance yeah. commission. So it's the onus is absolutely truly on the management industry to make it very clear to their clients what they do. Yeah, and they've been armed with an incredibly valuable resource here in your report. Now, you've mentioned uh, brokers a few times there, Nicole, and it's not the first time that I've heard that brokers have a really important role to play. And sometimes this resource that is a broker is not tapped into. I have chatted to a couple of brokers on the podcast, actually, and learned over the years a little bit more about what it is they do. I know you have a suggestion that owners can actually use the power of a broker more intelligently. Can you share those thoughts? Well, I think it's a couple of things. I think the first thing is that the strata manager needs to communicate very effectively about whether they are using a broker on behalf of a client and to give owners choice about brokers to use, understand their services, and that should be communicated really effectively as well. 
there seems to have been sort of an emergence of brokers. I think they've been around in some states for a while and I think it seems to be that some of the changes in the New South Wales legislation around this three quotes section has really moved this brokerage industry further. So it's been utilised much more since that sort of came um, into force, I believe. And I think, you know, again, they're getting paid for services. You need to know the services. And I think you should be inviting them into your committees and asking them lots of questions about insurance, what their role is, what their job is. I mean, their job's quite vital. They're the ones giving you real advice around um, the insurance. You need to ask them questions about what the components are of the insurance, about the policies that are being taken up, where they potentially can um, save money. Do they need to have a higher excess that might then bring down their insurance and what impact that may have? You know, there's all different ways around with insurance that people need to have much more information to make better decisions about. And so I think really putting it onto the brokers to say, well, you're getting part of the commission. You know, you're there to provide these services to us. You're that real conduit between the insurer or the underwriting agency and the manager as agent for us. Get them in the room, ask them the questions. I mean, I must say, up until I started this project, I had no communication whatsoever with our brokers. And I'll tell you what, when I started researching this, I was on the phone to the broker going, okay, I've had a look at the invoices. How does this all work? How's this commission split? You know, what do you do for us in relation to the money that you get? Please give me a detailed outline of the services that you actually provide. So I think it's important, again, to make sure that you have a good relation, get the manager to invite them on your behalf into meetings and have a discussion about yeah. what they, what the services that they actually provide. Did you come across in your research, Nicole, or even your personal experience, any reports of pushback on the part of insurers or brokers when it comes to communicating directly with a committee member or with an owner. I hear that sometimes from my clients and from owners simply saying, Amanda, I'd love to do all those things. I'd love to find out more about the insurance, but I ring up and I'm told, oh no, we can't talk to you because you're not the strata manager or you're not the secretary of the committee. Well, I think if that happens, it's time to move on. Mm. <laughs> find a new broker or find, find a new manager. I mean, that's just not acceptable. You're the consumer. Mm. You're the one paying. You're the one ultimately paying for this. And, and so, you're getting a benefit. Yeah, and I think it. for any, in any service industry where you're a customer, why would anyone put up with that? I certainly wouldn't. If I rang my lawyer and said, you know, can you come and have a chat to our committee about what's going on here? And they said, oh, no, we'll just communicate. As if I'd keep them on. That's just, Mm. that's a no-go, no. They are a service provider and you are the consumer and I would just be demanding it. And if they don't come up to scratch, well, then it's probably time to move on. Mm. From the conversations that I had with people, that wasn't really an issue. I think they like to deal with committees that are high-function committees that are very harmonious understand what's going on in their scheme and communicate effectively. That was clear to me. (laughs) Don't we all? They struggle when there's really fractured committees that aren't disclosing information properly, very difficult to deal with, won't do anything in terms of repair and maintenance of the building, that sort of stuff. So that came across, but um, as far as directly communicating with clients, that didn't come out in anything that I saw. Mm. And indeed, uh, for the first time in my career, really, in the last couple of years, I've heard of a few examples of buildings that were not able to get insurance or at least found it extremely difficult and were pushed to the 11th hour, really, because of insurers that were simply 
unwilling to quote because of claims history, because perhaps it's a competitive market. Did you have findings in your report about that? Yeah, definitely. There are some schemes that find it almost impossible and I think some impossible um, Mm. to get cover. And it's sometimes for a varied reason. So some of the schemes up in the north, just because of the nature of where they're located and the perils, especially up in the northern parts of sort of Queensland and WA, have very little choice in terms of what insurer that they can go with. And some of them had to go internationally, so they'll go to somewhere like Lloyd's that will get them covered, but very difficult um, in some areas to get choice. In some of the bigger cities, um, also those that are very big, complicated buildings that might have defect issues, again, difficult to get cover, especially if they want to move, so if they want to change providers that becomes even more difficult for people. The insurer said to me that if you've got a building that has issues around defects and they've been a client for a long time and they try and help assist in keeping them as a client and going through the process with them to deal with any sort of rectification issues. But changing is very difficult Mm. and if it's a really complex building or if it's a building or a scheme that's probably not a traditional type of scheme, so it might have farm elements or that sort of thing, included in the scheme, that can be really difficult to get insurance as well. So yes, because availability or the different types of insurance that are providing these sorts of products has shrunk, making it very, very difficult just because of the nature of the market at the moment. Mm. And uh, I'm sure the pandemic is not going to assist with that into the future as we start to have these new questions, as I spoke about at uh, the top of this chat, about uh, duty of care and use of common property by members of the public and perhaps unvaccinated residents. There is a whole series of questions relating to insurance and insurance coverage in that situation that I'm sure will be airing perhaps over the next year or so. Absolutely. Well, I think, you know, there's lots more work to be done, more research to be done in so many areas of strata. We're just scratching the surface. And I really look at this report as because it's the first of its kind and, you know, it seems to be the first of its kind anywhere in the world. I'm getting lots of people across the globe contacting me about it. But right. it's a starting point, you know, and I, I don't profess to say that, you know, this is a perfect and it covers everything. We've still got more work to do. But this project could have gone on for three or four years you know, there's so much data and there's so much information around strata insurance. It was could be never ending really. But I think <laughs> it's a good start. We've got something down on paper that I hope that helps both managers communicate better and for owners to feel a little empowered to, to sort of ask some of these questions um, of their manager and broker. Mm, Well, you've got plenty down on paper, that's for sure. We will just add in there again, Rochelle, the link to the report so our viewers can go over and have a look at that. Nicole, you have a particular skill at uh, conveying complex information in an easy to understand, easy to read way with very clear takeaways for stakeholders, whether they are strata managers or consumers. And I thank you for that. It is definitely a valuable resource. And thank you for giving us your time when I know you are so busy and when I uh, see what's happening on LinkedIn, whenever you (laughs) release a report, I think you're um, busy for the next two years and then you release another report. So... (laughs) Yes, we're just about to start a new one. So, um, yeah, we're just sort of wrapping up with over the next week or so with the insurance one and then we're off to a a new project that's quite big and exciting. So, yeah, that's great. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise. Enjoy 
the sunny state. Hopefully (laughs) some of us can be there soon. (laughs) Take care. Thank you. You too. Bye. Thank you for listening to Your Strata Property, the podcast which consistently delivers to property owners reliable and accurate information about their strata property. You can access all the information below this episode via the show notes at www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. You can also ask questions in the comments section, which Amanda will answer in her upcoming episodes. How can Amanda help you today? today?